Hi, and welcome to the Scottish Song Guide with the Sorries. I'm Marty. And I'm Douglas. And this is the third programme in our series. Yes, indeed, the programme, third Programme, is one. that too grand? Uh, you know, programme, I think. We'll we're go for it. that. We'll okay, go for that. Fine. So today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a couple of the songs connected with the Battle of Preston Pans, which took place in 1745 on the 21st of September. Yeah, and the reason we've decided to put two songs together is because they're both about the Battle of Preston Pans, but also they were both written by the same man, Adam Skirving. And the two songs we're looking at today are the Battle of Preston Pans, or Trinent Muir as it was originally called, and the much more famous Hey Johnny Cope. Hey Johnny Cope, are you walking yet? Are your drums are beating yet? If ye were walking, I would wait again to the calls in the morning. One of the really interesting things about both these songs is the fact that they were uh, contemporary songs. They were written in the immediate aftermath of the event, um, unlike a lot of folk songs which have been written, you know, a good 50, 70, 100 years after the events they talk about. Adam Skirving visited the battle site at Preston Pans uh, on the day of the battle and then came away and wrote the songs. He was mugged, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He was, he was a local farmer, quite a, a kind of well-to-do farmer, actually, who, by all accounts, didn't spend much time farming. I think he preferred golf and uh, socialising. <laughs> and, and believe it or not, uh, curling as well. So, man after your own heart, Marty. Fine man. And uh, I think he also actually spent quite a bit of time at the Muscleborough races. So. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I love about that is the idea that there's... Because, of course, Musselburgh Golf Course is the oldest golf course in the world. It's older mm. than St Andrews. And uh, the idea that there were people playing golf as the Jacobites kind of marched past on their way to the battle. I just love that idea. Yeah, because you always have these sort of historical events... I don't know, it's easy to look at them in isolation as just that event and nothing else was happening. But of course, yeah. there were people going about their yeah. you know, their daily lives at, at the same time. And more so, it's particularly in that period, I think. Because yeah. the, the, the battle was relatively localised in terms of there's only... Of course, the battle site is localised, but there's, there's only, there was only about 2,500 men on each side, which is obviously a reasonable size of army if it's yeah. coming at you. <laughs> but it's, you know, as in terms of a football crowd, 5,000 people is a reasonable crowd, yeah. but not ridiculously yeah. huge. Yeah, kind of average for most of our gigs, probably. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, oh, except for the 4,950 people that couldn't make it. Um, Since we're talking about that, do you want to give a little bit of historical context to the battle and who who was having a go at who? Okay, well, a little bit. Um, Most people who are interested in this at all know that that, uh, Bonnie Prince Charlie and the Jacobites spent a few weeks in Edinburgh. But actually, the Battle of of Preston Pans happens just after they've arrived in Edinburgh. They, they pretty much marched down, took over the city after staying in Castorfin briefly. And it may have put them off. That's why they marched out so quickly again. <laughs> so, sorry. You'll but, get yours. <laughs> but they, they, uh, it's only about three days that they stay in and then they march back out because Cope had landed his forces in um, Dunbar on about the 17th or 18th, I think. Cope, Cope being the leader of the Hanoverian yep, forces. General Cope, absolutely. And he had a bit of previous on running away. 
as well because uh, he'd uh, he hadn't made it to the Coriatic Pass in the Highlands and he'd headed off to Inverness, put his army in a sh- on a. Well, actually, they marched from Inverness to Aberdeen and then took ship down to Dunbar. Mm. Um, so Charlie, in the meantime, took the direct route pretty much because it was open to him because Cope had run away. Um, well, a tactical <coughs> tactical retreat perhaps, yeah, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so he takes the direct route down, and then he marches out, and they, they arrive on the 20th, uh, start standing looking at each other for the day, and then it was on the 21st that the actual battle takes place. Mm-hmm. So the long celebrated section that, that Charlie is in Edinburgh comes afterwards, when he's triumphant after yeah, winning this hold, battle. Yeah, holding court at Holyrood yeah. and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Charlie looked upon me through his sword, discovered from So Skirving wrote these two songs having visited the battlefield, but they're an interesting contrast because although Skirving was pro-Jacobite and he wrote Hey Johnny Cope as a straight dig, and Marty mentioned Cope's previous with Running Away, but... It, Alleged previous. Yeah, this um, song Hey Johnny Cope has really hammers home the point that Cope deserted and so on, which isn't necessarily true, actually, but... No. Um, it's helped to kind of cement that idea in the consciousness of Cope the Coward. But the other song, Trinent Muir, is quite different because it's a much longer, much more accurate depiction of the events that happened at the battle and just in the run-up to the battle and gives quite an even-handed account of the characters involved. And in fact, there has been a later insertion, which actually when we've performed it live, we do a little kind of chorus refrain, which is... General Cope led free behind to keep his men in order when the English rallies in the van across the border. The damning that. I love that as well because it suggests that somehow there's something weird about a general leading from the back and looking at his troops and sending them into battle, which of course there isn't at all. But it suggests that he premeditated the whole thing and knew that he was going to run away and that's why he was standing at the back. (laughs) But it should be said as well that you know, Skirving didn't write that that part. It was a, a much later insertion because there's a version of it published, um, I think, almost 100 years after it was written and that doesn't appear in it, so, yeah. Ah, so it is a, mu- it yeah, is a much, much later one. Later, yeah. Because someone else had been reading Johnny, listening to Johnny Cope and decided yeah, that he needed to redress the balance so it was actually yeah. completely unbalanced. Yeah, it should, it should be said, though, Trinent Muir is also 15 verses long, so... <laughs> You probably need something to break up, <laughs> certainly if we're playing it. Proclaimed the cock, we had another crumb and general left free behind. Keep his men in order when the English rallied in the van and first across the So on the 20th, the day before the battle, Cope had basically drawn up his forces, having marched them up from Dunbar in a pretty strong place. He had the sea at his back. Uh, and he had his flanks protected, and they're facing a Jacobite army, which is on high ground, but in a less strong place, because they needed to attack. And the Jacobite army is uh, attacking towards the north, as far as I can make out. But they realised that it wasn't going to be an easy attack because of the strength of Cope's position, so he held off and held off and held off. Um, There is one anecdote, actually, about Charlie getting so frustrated that he sent out some men along one of the roads to try in a flanking manoeuvre. And uh, George Murray... Uh, got had such a humpty strop about this that he threw down his sword and said he would never he would draw it no more in the Jacobite cause unless the men were were recalled. Yeah. So Charlie had to back off. And, and 
it's interesting that because even at this point in the early stages of the Jacobite rising, it kind of points to that tension between yeah. uh, Lord Murray and Charlie, which when they eventually, when the Jacobites got down to Derby, it was Murray that um, pushed the case for coming back up north and sort of strengthening, consolidating their yeah. position north. And then again at Culloden, uh, it was against Murray's advice that Charlie chose Dromosi Moor yeah. as the battlefield and so on. So there was constant tension between yeah. them, but then he knew what he was doing and Charlie didn't. <laughs> <laughs> By all accounts. But so it, it looked like it might be a bit of a stalemate, but that night a local man came and said, said that he could lead them through the, the, the marshy area that was actually protecting one of Cope's flanks. So in, they got up before sunrise and uh, sneaked down through this along this track. There may have been a kind of tramway as well used from one of the culprits to mm. the to Preston Pans, the, to the the, the harbour. But they they sneaked in a way, and when when dawn broke, they attacked uh, an unsuspecting government from completely the wrong, you know, from completely the flank. Although I think that there is reports that they were one of the sentries, one of Cope's sentries, had challenged them, so they. Cope's army had a where they didn't just completely attack out the blue. They were able to sort of form up and, and turn, but nevertheless, you know, it was it was all done pretty much in a hurry and yeah. uh, presumably with a considerable amount of fear kicking about. Nice early morning. Yeah, and the fact that it was early morning also relates to the sort of the chorus of the song "Hey Johnny Cope," which is sometimes mistakenly uh, thought to be. Uh, Hey Johnny Cope, are you walking yet? That's right, yeah. But it's it's the Scots. It's actually, are you waking yet? Yeah, you're walking. Um, yeah. Hey Johnny Cope, are you walking yet? Are your drums are beating yet? We were walking, I was waiting to get the So the uh, at that point they attacked, and well, by most accounts, it seems the battle didn't last more than about ten, fifteen minutes, mm. because Cope's troops were pretty much untried, and when the Highlanders attacked, although. Again, the Highlanders' line wavered when the artillery went off, the, the government artillery went off. But uh, they, they attacked, nevertheless. And the artillery at this stage fired one volley and left. Although, actually, there are some accounts that, in fact, they left before they fired one volley because Lochiel's men were charging it on the uh, south flank. And uh, the, the, the officer, was a marine officer, was in charge of the guns, actually supposedly went on and lit, lit all of them and let all six of them off. And then tried to get out of there because yeah. his men had already gone by yeah. that stage. And it's it's an interesting contrast. The idea is always of sort of the Jacobite army being, you know, clans are gathered and they're yeah. the sort of volunteer. Well, not not necessarily volunteers. A lot of them, obviously, because of the the clan system. Yeah, but cro- effectively, um, crofters turned yeah, fighters. Yeah, turned fighters. But in the case of Preston Pans, the majority of the Hanoverian troops were kind of recently raised and quite inexperienced. Yeah. Um, and and the, even even down to the Dragoon regiments they had, gardeners in particular, there's a great line in one of the books uh, that says that, you know, gardeners were the only people standing between Charlie and Edinburgh in the first place. Uh, and that, that they left no, no route of hasty, uh, hasty escape untried. <laughs> uh, and gardeners, again, there's some, some reports that if the Dragoons, the government Dragoons, had been more aggressive and more seasoned troops... They could have exploited because when the when the Highlanders deployed, they couldn't see each other, and they actually stretched their line too far, so there was a gap in the middle. And if the dragoons had gone in there, it's thought that they could have split the Highland yeah. line, and it would have been very different. But as it was, the dragoons just just uh, ran away. Although Gardner himself is one of the great heroes, as depicted actually in kind of many places afterwards, but also in the song Trinet Muir is 
depicted as one of the heroes who kind of... On the government side. Yeah, on the government side. Uh, one of the kind of homegrown Scottish Hanoverian heroes. He actually lived in a house just by the battlefield. And during the 19th century, there was an obelisk put up a huge uh, really? memorial for Didn't him. Yeah. But Gardner Brave did still behave like to a hero bright man. Encouraged true like him were few that still despised it flight man. For king and laws and country's cause in honour's bed he lay man. His life but not his courage fled while he had breath to draw And again it, it perhaps looks at this element in, in the song Trinent Muir there's, as mentioned, it's a more even-handed account and there's kind of mention of Hanoverian heroism. Yeah. But the Hanoverian heroes seem to be Scots. <laughs> and the people, who are, the people who are picked out as, um, you know, being the kind of cowardly ones are English, Irish and so on. Yeah. Which is a sort of interesting take on it. Nice little bit of good old-fashioned xenophobia. That's yeah. what that is. And I, I must tell you, there's a great story as well um, there's a Lieutenant Smith who is referenced in Trinent Muir uh, in a negative capacity. And he, uh, when he heard the song, Smith, he sent a messenger to Skirving, challenging to him to a duel. <laughs> so Lieutenant Smith was in Haddington at the time, uh, which is not too far from Trinent. And Skirving apparently told the messenger, I've got this, I've got a quote here, if you hear the rustling paper. Um, he said... I have no leisure to come to Haddington, but tell him come here and I'll have a look at him. And if I think I'm fit to fecht him, I'll fecht him. <laughs> if no, I'll do as he did and run away. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just think is brilliant. It does suggest just how localised these songs are, though. It's like the idea that, that Skirving is writing this stuff for local consumption and also slightly that the local populace are probably quite pro-Jacobite, otherwise people don't sing these songs, they don't yeah, get passed around. Yeah, yeah. And Major Bowles had worthy soul was brought down to the ground, man. His horse being shot, it was his lot, taking money, a wound man. Lieutenant Smith, no Irish birth, three whom he called for aid, man. Being full of dread, or his head. And wouldn't it be insane, man, General Cope So, when Cope left the battlefield, finally, after trying to rally his troops, who had broken really quickly under the Highland Charge, as I said, I think the battle's only about 15 minutes long, um, he leaves the, the battlefield pretty much trying to rally what's left of his dragoons. And I think he had something like 300 foot left as well, or 200 feet, foot left. And, um, and the rest were, were dragoons. So actually... Some historians have said that you know that's the thing that's the only thing he could do was actually to leave and try and keep what's left of his forces together. I mean he'd lost what best part about fourteen hundred men had been taken prisoner and about three hundred had been killed on the battlefield in that really short space of time. And actually the battle itself, that section was seen as a slaughter, and that the, the Highlanders were being and, and that the army were being the, the Jacobite army were being particularly brutal. And there are some people that think the reason why Culloden is so awful is because, of course, the Hanoverians didn't downplay the brutality of the Highlanders when they were when they, at Preston Pans. And it's thought that actually this was used to kind of stir up the troops, which is why the slaughter after Culloden was so dreadful. And also it kind of factors into that kind of 
anti-Highland prejudice yeah. as well. And uh, just on Cope, he was actually court-martialed in 1749 for yeah. cowardice and desertion and was completely exonerated. So, you know, which kind of backs up the fact that the idea of him fleeing... It's slightly propaganda, yeah, yeah, yeah. basically. But also about the slaughter, and it's funny because in the song Trenent Muir, which, as we said, is a more sort of even-handed account, Skirving actually has a verse where he describes Highland rogues like hun- hungry dogs who are looting the possessions uh, of the dead Hanoverians. And in fact, Gardner, who we mentioned earlier, uh, James Gardner, who you know was mortally wounded in the battle, he was stripped the waist whilst he was dying, and you know they took his possessions away. Um, Although they're going to, the, the thing is, they're going to do that because the reports before that in Edinburgh are that the Jacobites are poorly armed, yeah. and there are no reports of them being poorly armed afterwards. Yeah. Particularly, well, all the all the they are when they're captured and taken prisoner. Murray Pittick talks about the records showing that they're not armed with all the things that people say they're armed with, which is things like pitchfork, pitchfork yeah, handles yeah. tied to sides, sides and things and like that. This is all you know. They're armed with guns. Yeah. yeah. Um, so th- and it's thought that it's this is partly because it's being how poorly armed they are is talked up initially. Yeah. But also because after Preston Pans, one of the great things that they get is they capture everything. Yeah. Yeah. So if they're if they're rampaging through the battlefield, of course they're nicking stuff. But at the same time. It's not just that, that actually they're pilfering it because they can get a load of weapons out of there. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. And that, that maybe also reflects Skirving's own prejudice. Uh, yeah. You mentioned at the start him being mugged. He went to the battlefield after the battle and yeah, <laughs> he was set upon by <laughs> some of the Jacobites uh, who, yeah, <laughs> nicked, his, <laughs> nicked his money. <laughs> and he still wrote yeah, the pro-Jacobite Johnny Cope. Yeah, yeah, but again, it's perhaps this... You know, when he came to do Trenent Muir, which is a much longer one, he made sure he put in a little bit about... Um, <laughs> a little you know, dig. A little dig about these Highlanders looting after the after the battle. That afternoon when all was done, I came to see the free man. But had I wist what after past, I'd better stayed away, man. On seat in sands, we nimble hand, he picked my pockets bare, man. But I wish now as I mentioned at the start, Hey Johnny Cope is by far the better known of these two songs written by Adam Skirving. Although the tune wasn't actually written by Skirving, it was an existing tune called uh, Will Ye Gang to the Coals in the Morning. And the tune has endured, um, you know, partly because of the song, but as a piece of instrumental music as well. It's played as the Revali by... Um, you know, certain regiments, um, and was actually played at the D-Day landings as well by the 51st Highland Division. Uh, as presumably, it's a, presumably, though, it must be a local tune, the Gang to the Coals, with the mining area. Yeah, with it being a, a mining Pans. area, yeah. Uh, just another little interesting add-on about the music. Skirving did write tunes, but a lot of the songs he wrote, um, the music was written by his wife, oh. apparently, yeah. And his son also... I think both his sons wrote music, so quite a musical family, although his eldest son was kind of known as a painter as well. So they weren't doing much farming then? Yeah, not much farming <laughs> at all. And like so many of these tunes that we've kind of, that we play and that we talk about, um, there are lots of different versions of a 
period of Hey Johnny Cope, but uh, Skirving's one is still the definitive one, but there are other versions in Jacobite Relics which appeared slight variants. And there's also a, a version which was collected by a Kitty Hartley uh, who collected various songs, although she was based in Yorkshire, collected various Scottish songs. And it's got a an interesting verse. I mean, to be honest, I think most of it's a, a bit rubbish. <laughs> but there is a verse which is, My men are bald, my steeds are rude, They'll dye their hooves in healing blood And eat their hay in Holyrood by ten tomorrow morning. Which really closely echoes or has echoes in the song Hawsey Cromdale. Bathe their hooves in healing blood, yeah. as they say in Hawsey Cromdale, and it's such a similar tune too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the same, it's rude in blood is the same rhyme as well, I think, in Hawsey Cromdale. Uh, yeah. That's right. Um, so yeah, but we'll maybe talk more about Hawsey Cromdale on another podcast. Yeah. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our canter through the Battle of Preston Pans and Adam Skirving's two songs that came out of it. Uh, it's a wee bit longer than normal, this podcast, but we thought you wouldn't mind since it's our Christmas special. Yeah, it's our bumper Radio Times edition. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good Christmas and New Year. Have a lovely Christmas and New Year. And we'll see you soon. Oh, but if there's any of you that are looking for uh, late ideas for Christmas presents, of course, thesorries.co.uk has a wide range of t-shirts and CDs available, which are guaranteed to put a smile on someone's face.